Europe continues to face volatile energy markets and uncertain gas supplies, with some countries becoming particularly vulnerable to the effects of this current energy crisis. Governments are scrambling to control demand through reduced usage while simultaneously securing supply by switching to alternative fuels, all while mitigating financing constraints and regulatory bottlenecks. My colleague Patrick had a candid conversation with Aura Sabadis, senior journalist at ICIS, about these issues, as well as price capping and energy market integration with Eastern Europe. My name is Pamela Larg, and you're listening to the Energy Transitions Podcast. Welcome to this new Energy Markets Talk for the Energy Transitions Podcast. My name is Patrick Baudouin, and today's guest is Aura Sabades, a senior journalist specializing in the energy markets of the Black Sea countries and also a research fellow for the energy community. Aura, welcome and thank you for joining. Thank you so much for the invitation, Patrick. Well, actually, I should say Dr. Aura Sabades. You occasionally also teach about energy market liberalization, right? I saw in your LinkedIn profile. So you've been covering the energy markets as a journalist for quite a long time. I think for ISIS already over 12 years, and I think before that as well, right? Yes, for ISIS for 12 years, absolutely. So I was wondering the events in the energy markets for the past six months, is that anything like you've seen before? (laughs) That's a very good question. No, Uh, that's very honest and very blunt. No, it's uh, it's been absolutely extraordinary what we've seen in the last couple of months, I would say for the last year. And I don't think we've reached the end of it. That's another very blunt truth, but it's something that we have to prepare going forward. Everyone who is in the energy sector. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to talk about the gas markets. You also spoke at the Etsy conference, the Energy Trading for Central and Southeastern Europe conference in Budapest, where you discussed the question, is the gas market ready for emergency situations? Now, currently we have one emergency after the other and security of supply for the upcoming winter. Well, I think it's safe to say it's in danger. What are the most vulnerable countries to Russian gas supply cuts? Mm. Right. So I would like to unpick your question because obviously it includes many other questions. I would respond with the particulars. So which are the most vulnerable countries in Europe as a whole? I would say that probably the most vulnerable ones would be energy community contracting parties, Moldova, Bosnia and Herzegovina and Republic of North Macedonia. And the reason I'm saying is because these countries rely on, let's say, limited transmission infrastructure. In the case of North Macedonia, for example, it only has one interconnection with Bulgaria and that capacity is fully booked by Gazprom, even though Gazprom does not use the full capacity, only half of it. And the other issue, of course, is also access to financing in order to secure alternative sources of supply. Let's not forget that the price of natural gas right now, as of today, is about 160 euros. So again, we see huge volatility, we see record prices. So, you know, for smaller buyers, this is a really important issue to secure financing. So this is the answer to to your question, which countries are the most vulnerable? 
at the bigger scale, so bigger picture here, I mean the larger European market, I would say that, again, we see some countries that may not be in such a difficult position, like Poland, for example, which now has gas in storage. It will have gas coming from Norway from October, also access to LNG. And also countries that may still depend on Russian gas quite a lot. And this is the case of what we keep hearing, Germany, Italy, and so forth. But saying this, I think there could be some mitigating factors. And these factors would be measures that can be implemented as of now. Mm. And I would insist here, I think very important going forward will be a widespread media campaign that could be launched by countries that consume a lot of gas to tell consumers that it's important to reduce demand. So on the one hand, we have the demand control measures that could be implemented, and these are firmly in the hands of governments, as well as possibly switching to other fuels like coal. We've seen Germany already announcing that they would bring online about eight gigawatts of coal-fired generation. And then on the other hand, we have the supply issue. Now, this is obviously not in the hands of governments, and it's a very vulnerable situation, very volatile as well. But we've seen efforts made by governments as well as individual buyers to approach alternative suppliers in the US, in Qatar, in North Africa, and to secure LNG, liquefied natural gas. So I suppose that going forward and barring a very, very cold winter at the same time as a very cold winter in Asia, Europe could get by, could, providing a number of factors are met. And I would say here, reducing demand, switching to alternative fuels and securing sufficient volumes to meet winter demand. So this is my view for the upcoming months. Yeah, yeah. Well... My next question indeed was, well, what about the challenges to secure supply from elsewhere? You mentioned financing. Is that the main challenge? The financing is more of an issue for countries and the companies that would be struggling to secure this. I mean, it's a struggle for everyone, let's face it. I mean, even for the bigger Western European companies and bigger utilities, it's still a struggle because at current prices, my goodness, uh, you know, for, <laughs> you can buy limited amount of gas for the money that you spent now compared to previous years when, let's say, 100 million euros could have bought you a lot more gas. But financing is certainly one of the issues. The other issue that I see is not so much in terms of availability of supply. I mean, supply could be an issue, especially if there is high demand in Asian countries at the same time Mm -hmm. as Europe. But my biggest concern is access to infrastructure. And that's not because there is no infrastructure, but because there are regulatory bottlenecks. And for example, you mentioned the fact that I also do some work for the energy community. And right now I'm heavily involved in a project that's called Seagas. And it looks at central, southern and eastern European countries and the integration of infrastructure and markets. And I looked at the transmission capacity just over the last three months. Now I realized that it's spring, but still only about 20% of the capacity that is available in this region is currently used. Why? Because there are these regulatory bottlenecks. Countries refuse to sign interconnection agreements. So you have these ambiguous grey zones where you have, on the one hand, EU member states. On the other hand, you have energy community contracting parties. It's a voluntary thing. They don't have to sign interconnection agreements. But 
more often than not, these countries refuse to work with each other, refuse to sign interconnection agreements, refuse to open up borders and to support each other. So this is one of the big concerns that I have. The other concern is also the weakness of institutions. In some cases, governments, regulators jump on the opportunity to regulate prices. Of course, it's a very populist measure. Of course, let's say consumers will be excited at the idea that they will be paying less for natural gas or for electricity, which of course is good for consumers. But in the longer term, the damage that such measures could inflict on markets will be felt over a longer period of time and will have hugely distortive impact effects on markets. So really, governments and the European Union need to think very wisely, very thoroughly, whether these are the right measures that need to be implemented. Maybe there are other tools to support consumers rather than directly intervening in markets and destroying market structures. Yeah, we had the G7 talks already. The EU has indeed announced that they're looking at price caps and regulating gas prices. You mentioned on the long term, it can really damage markets. But do you think if it's a very short term solution, can it be helpful that way? Or, or are you a bit well, skeptic about that? I, I don't think it can be a short term solution because I think these prices are pretty much here to stay, at least for the medium mm. term. And I have the example of many countries that even before this crisis regulated or attempted to regulate prices. And these measures created such distortions in markets that it really affected everyone, including end consumers, because ultimately the price cap was in place, but the markets started to fall below the price cap. So at one point, the price cap was much higher than the actual market price. And the government was not fast enough to adjust and to realign with the new market reality. So I'm a great believer in markets. I believe that markets do reflect the actual situation, but that doesn't mean that if markets go up or prices go up, governments don't have any other instruments to support consumers, like, for yeah. example, raising a euro bond that could support companies that struggle to pay for natural gas and to compensate for the difference between the market price and the price where they can actually pay. Uh, so there are other instruments that can be used, but of course, market regulation and price caps are very popular and uh, very populist as well. Yeah, yeah. And so about the alternative instruments, do you think euro bonds would be most effective or are there I, I, other, I other this, instruments? This is just one of the issues. I mean, it was flagged by Professor Alan Riley, which and, and I completely agree with him. It's one of the possibilities. And the Eurobond, from his point of view, would be largely to secure natural gas. From my point of view, I think that the EU could raise money, maybe come up with a nominal price level. So let's assume they say, okay, so we assume a fixed price. And if of, let's say, 100 euros, if the price goes above that, then we compensate companies for the difference between the market price and the fixed price that we agree on. And at the same time, also maybe help consumers with some incentives, with some packages, either to roll out smart meters in order to control demand or 
to be more efficient, to secure other, you know, to make their homes more efficient, or indeed to produce winter fuel allowances, like in the UK, for example, for vulnerable consumers. So I think there are a few measures that could be implemented. Um, I mean, these are just some of them that I could think of. Maybe regulators could come up with something that's even more creative than what I said. But I personally, I don't think that regulating markets is a solution and a viable one. Yeah, exactly. Back to the conference you spoke at, many of the discussions there were also about market integration. So you already touched upon your work for the energy community. For the Southeastern European region specifically, what is the outlook there for a regional uh, market integration? As I said, I think there is a lot of capacity, transmission capacity. The biggest roadblock there are these regulatory issues and the fact that transmission system operators really need to work with each other to sign interconnection agreements to smooth out all these regulatory problems. Like, for example, Romania insists on a certain methane content in the gas, whereas the methane content of Ukraine or of Bulgaria is different. So, you know, when you insist on a certain methane content, then of course you create a bottleneck there because, you know, the gas can't flow freely from one side to the other. But on the whole, and again, you know, I would refer to the study that I'm doing. I was looking at the importing capacity that is now being proposed or currently developed in Southeast Europe. And I'm talking here, Croatia, Greece and Turkey. We're talking big, big, big capacities. Greece is already talking about bringing online. So there is one onshore terminal and it talks about bringing online four more. Uh, Turkey already has four and it could bring online another FSIU, so a fifth. So when I calculated, I looked at this whole integrated region, so Central Europe, Eastern Europe and Southern Europe. I included Poland, Croatia, Greece and Turkey. And altogether, if we were to include all the LNG importing capacity that exists and is being proposed or has been proposed, the capacity would exceed 100 billion cubic meters. Now, this is huge. Yeah, it's way yeah. more than the regional demand. Of course, may, maybe some of these projects will not come online. But if these countries were to work with each other, and if these projects were to be implemented, there shouldn't be a problem. But again, you know, look at the relations between Turkey, Bulgaria and Greece. Turkey has now 44 billion cubic meters of importing capacity for LNG. But none of the volumes enters the region. I mean, there were talks that maybe there was a cargo that was imported in Turkey for Bulgaria, but we don't know. We don't know what happened. We don't know if an interconnection agreement exists. We don't know whether traders can count on Turkey as a regional player. So it would be fantastic if Turkey were to take a more active role in the region and the European Union were to encourage that relationship between Southern Europe and Turkey. It would be absolutely beneficial. But sadly, right now, we still think in terms of very strict political terms. And I don't think we've reached a deep enough crisis <laughs> to trigger these major changes that are needed. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how it goes as we approach winter. Yeah, yeah. Well, we also saw at the event way more interest from Greece and Turkey specifically. 
Now you explained already how their role in the market is changing a little bit. You think they will be major players in the future if, if this crisis continues? It's a very good observation and I was very, very pleased to see Turkish and Greek traders at the conference. Incredibly pleased because it means that they are really looking at European markets as well. Until now, I think it was more the other way around. So more European traders looking at Turkey and having high expectations from the Turkish market. Of course, the Turkish market is still trying to find its ways and to find its place in the region and to decide what direction it's going to take over the next couple of years. But I think traders, Turkish traders, have understood that they need to take a position in Europe and that there are many opportunities. One of the opportunities is, as I said, in terms of opening up the borders and allowing exports from Turkey into southern and eastern Europe. Another opportunity that I don't think people actually realize is also in electricity and especially after the synchronization of Ukraine with Eastern Europe. Why do I say that? Well, Ukraine has now successfully synchronized in an emergency mode with continental Europe, so with NSOE. Only a few days ago, so on the 30th of June, it started the first commercial exports to the NSOE region. First country is Romania. Capacity is small, about 100 megawatts. Mm -hmm. uh, but the intention is to expand this interconnection capacity to about 1.5 gigawatts and to include Romania, Slovakia and Hungary. So these are the NSOE countries that uh, Ukraine can export to. Ukraine also has a separate line with Poland, and that could also be expanded by another one gigawatt. So altogether, the interconnection capacity of Ukraine with European countries would be around 2.5. The electricity price in Ukraine is about 80 euros. In Europe, it's over 300. So you can imagine the, the huge spreads that people can take advantage of here. So first of all, it's good for the traders. Secondly, it's also good for the countries themselves because this is an opportunity to get cheap electricity from Ukraine, but on the other hand, for Ukraine also to keep its industry running because mm. with the war, its electricity demand has been damaged and companies also struggle to collect money from consumers. So it works both ways. And also one other element which is hugely important is the fact that by expanding this electricity capacity to continental Europe, mm -hmm. this could save NSOE countries about 5 billion cubic meters in Russian gas imports. So instead of importing 5 billion cubic meters of Russian gas for electricity generation, they could import electricity from Ukraine at a much cheaper price. Yeah, so yeah. while I was in Budapest and attending the conference, the Etsy conference, I spoke to lots of Turkish companies and this is exactly what they were interested in. And they were telling me that they were all working very hard now to get licenses, trading licenses in the region. Mm -hmm. First of all, in order to take advantage of trading in the region, but also to take advantage of this interconnection with Ukraine. So all of a sudden we see that the region is coming together. Traders see benefits in countries. They don't think nationally anymore. They think regionally. Yeah. 
yeah. which is yeah. what I've really wanted to see for many years. So since I started working with ICIS, this was my goal to see traders thinking regionally and not just domestically, nationally. Yeah. But now it's the big question. Will all of that be in time for next winter? That's a good question. We don't have a lot of time left. Well, it really depends on everyone and on everyone to work together. As I said at the beginning of our conversation, there is a strong need to reduce demand. And the only way to reduce demand significantly is to work together. So all of us have to do our bit. You know, it starts with you and me, with ordinary consumers, and then it goes up to commercial consumers, industrial consumers, and so forth. Then it's up to governments and government institutions to understand that this is a very serious situation and to understand that they really need to remove all these roadblocks that I mentioned. Yeah. So, you know, we have to do our bit and it depends on us whether we can survive a very tough winter or not. Mm -hmm. I see many politicians all across Europe staying fairly calm. Do you think actual shortages, and I know this is probably a, an impossible question, but actual shortages in Europe is a likely scenario? Gas shortages, I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Shortages will be a scenario. And not just because Russia will cut the gas, but also because the governments will instruct consumers to reduce demand. Mm. And, you know, it's it's a fact. We have to agree and to acknowledge that we are in a difficult situation and we are in a difficult situation on many fronts. Energy bills have gone up. There is limited supply. Inflation is high. We have to live frugally. The good fat years have gone now and we have to get used to the leaner years. But, you know, it's a fact of life. And as long as we stick together and as long as we we recognize that it's a difficult situation. I think we can manage just. Yeah. Well, glad you can close with a slightly positive note. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as much um, as positive I can get out yeah, of this yeah, situation. Exactly. Well, let's see what the winter will bring us. Thank you, Aura, for this, for My this podcast. My pleasure. It's very nice um, to meet you, Patrick. Well, thank you. And thank you also to our listeners. You have been listening to Aura Sabatis energy journalist for ICIS and hopefully you'll tune in next time. Thank you. You have been listening to the Inlet and Friends Energy Transitions podcast. For more podcast recordings relating to the energy transition, please visit inlet.world. Bye for now.